0: Round one of the Zurich Classic is underway and some big names are in the mix. Tiger versus Phil. Is it one of the great rivalries in all of sport? We will discuss. Plus, the 49ers, Robbie Gold, joins to talk parallels between golf and football. We're set to kick off on Golf Today.
1: Golf today brought to you by PointsBet
0: Live look at TPC Louisiana as the week marks the 73rd Zurich Classic of New Orleans this tournament became a team competition in 2017 and this year marks the fifth time it's being played that way. Welcome into Golf Today. Matt Adams partnered with Eamon Lynch this week in this very unique week that is the only one on tour when players will have a partner determining their fate. So, Eamon, where do we start with this? Do you enjoy this change of pace? I do
2: because more for the psychodrama than anything else, Matt, because we know that the PGA Tour is typically a couple of hundred lone wolves. These are not guys who are accustomed to hunting in packs, and they actually have to do that this week. And that's not always easy to do because you're adjusting to personality, to playing style, even to the equipment or the ball your your partner may actually play out there as well. So you can see who settles
0: into it easily, and you can see the guys for whom it's still a little bit awkward. I like the competitive aspect that you're noting as well, Eamon, but there's a lot more about this week that I love. I love the fact that on social media, we see the players sending us pictures of what they had for dinner, the crawfish, and, and, and uh, et cetera. Uh, I love the fact that every shot we have, every cutaway, is of some alligator or reptile or snake or something that's that's there. Uh, this, is, this is right at sea level. It has all the things that are unique about New Orleans, that are unique about Louisiana, and it's a Pete Dye golf course, which, if memory serves me, this is the fourth... Pete Dye course that we will have played over the course of the last seven weeks. So there's a lot of elements that go into this gumbo.
2: Yeah, and if the, if the food doesn't give you indigestion down there, Pete Dye is going to do it for you, Matt. And it's, it's really interesting that, as we can see by the leaderboard we're about to look at, individual form for guys coming in here seems to have absolutely no bearing year after year. Some really unusual guys, pairings, names you haven't heard of in a while. They seem to find a little bit of form here.
0: Well, let's see who's showing some form first before we take a look at that leaderboard with some highlights from early in the day. Round one of Zurich Classic. We start Colin Morikawa at the par 4 13th. He's teamed with Victor Hovland. This from 94 yards.
2: Team was one under par at this point. Holds it out for Eagle. Gets the three under.
0: Very well done. Fist pump it. All right, let's go to his partner, Victor Hovland. This at the par 4 15th. This 15 feet for birdie.
2: This Hovland's first birdie of the day.
0: Team goes to four under par. Back we go to Colin Murakawa. At the par three, 17th, this chip, uh, this would be for birdie from just right of the green. Who needs a putter, Matt? Not him, that would get them to the five under, they would take at that point the outright lead. Mark Leishman at the par four, 10th, his partner's Cameron Smith, 18 feet for birdie. The defending champions get to one under par through one. Now to his partner we go at the par four 13th second shot from 94 yards.
2: And this is why he's the players champion.
0: That right there. He would tap in for birdie. He would get them to two under. Let's stay with Smith par three 17th tee shot.
2: Nestles this one in there to four feet would make birdie
0: and get his team to three under well done indeed from there we go to Bob McIntyre a couple of scots he's team with Martin Laird this is his tee shot at the 14th this is when you turn to your partner and say beat that in best ball and you beat that yes well done <laughs>
3: <laughs> that would get the team to six
0: under par
3: <laughs> Right, <that's a>
0: Danny Willett at the par five. He's along with Terrell Hatton, 42 feet away for Eagle here. The second. They would get to seven under par. Tommy Ganey, the par three, ninth hole. He's teamed with Robert Garrigus, 11 feet for Birdie. That would get that team to seven under par, Eamon. From there, how about Tommy Ganey at the par 4 Second shot from just outside of 100 yards.
2: Knocks this one to five feet.
0: Makes the birdie. The team gets to eight under par. Let's stay with Tommy Ganey then. This at the par 412. His partner made bogey, so this is for par. He would make that one, and they would remain at eight under par. Let's take a look at the leaderboards. Aaron Ryan, David Lipsky now leading the way. Look at that. Aiming an opening round of 61 in four ball. Trey Mullinex, Wesley Bryan, still on the uh, no. They just finished at 63, two shots adrift. Matthew Neesmith and Taylor Moore are nine under, but they still have some work ahead of them. So the scoring is already stout this morning. People are going deep. Do you think that might be a time of day thing or is this something we're going to be seeing throughout?
2: I think you're going to be seeing it throughout since this Zurich Classic turned into a team format back in 2017. The average winning score in the four editions we've had is 23.75 under par. So if you don't get off to a fast start on Thursday and keep sprinting all the way to Sunday evening, there's a good chance someone's going to overtake you.
0: What about Hovland and Murakawa? They, they were highly touted, obviously, coming in. There was a lot of excitement about what they may do. What you've seen so far of what they have done, impressions? Well, they, they made
2: a fast start. They got out to six under par pretty early. But they seem to have stalled right now. And right now, you've got to be seven under par to be in the top ten. And we're at lunchtime <laughs> on Thursday. So it doesn't take much here to fall off the pace pretty quickly. But it's a pretty solid opening round for those guys. It's perhaps disguised a little bit by the fact that they've hold out twice from off the green to get there, which may suggest that they're not perhaps as scoring as, as consistently or as reliably as you would in a conventional manner. But they are the overwhelming favorites this week, and I don't see why they wouldn't be the overwhelming favorites.
0: I want to f- follow up on something you said right at the top of the show when we came in. And it was about mindset In that now all of a sudden you have a partner. Now, you, in some way, you have someone else that's depending on what you are going to do. That will be even more acute when they get to alternate shot. But what difference do you think that makes in terms of how players perform? Sometimes, say, during a Ryder Cup or a President's Cup, we see people sail, soar through such a scenario. What kind of unique pressure does it do for weeks
2: like this? I think it depends on the personality of the guy we're talking about. You take a guy like Ryan Palmer. How could he not want to be the jockey who's going to ride Scotty Schefter all the way to the finish line here. At 45 years old. Exactly, because who comes in here with more confidence than Scotty Scheffler? So he's the guy you kind of want to partner with. A rising tide's going to lift all boats in that scenario. But if you're the kind of guy who runs hot at yourself on the golf course, well, then maybe if you express the same kind of exasperation at your playing partner, it's maybe not a partnership that's going to last (laughs) very long. You know, you've got to kind of meld the personalities even more so than, say, the playing styles or the different balls guys may use. You kind of want somebody that you want to be in the company of talking to for five hours because if you're not particularly warmly attuned to each other, it's going to be a really long day.
3: Yeah,
0: and, and I think also, too, you get these fun pairings because there is something that we can draw from this. In fairness, when you look at... Uh, pairings that, that may get put together in a President's Cup or may get put together in a Ryder Cup, and there's plenty to chew on as far as that goes, whether we're talking about veterans or we're talking about young guys. But then you have a combination, like we were just talking about, with Morikawa and Hovland, and that's just a couple of young guns out there having fun. It is, but there are a couple of young guns who, if you look at the birdie averages on the PGA
2: Tour, which is one of those statistics I think has more bearing this week than than most, because a lot of the individual play statistics don't really... Uh, have, have much bearing on, on team play, particularly in alternate shot format. But both of these guys rank in the top five in birdie average on the PGA Tour. And uh, there are only a couple of teams re- out there who really have that kind of a strong presence with both guys in, in the birdie average out there on week to week on the PGA Tour. And I think that's probably something that puts them in really good stead this week. Because we keep hearing all the time about how they're a little wobbly on or around the greens. Well, if you don't actually miss that many greens and you hit it as close as those guys mm-hmm. do. And certainly if you're getting two bites of the cherry with those two iron players coming into the green, you'd expect them to be there on Sunday.
0: Yeah. And it's, we haven't talked about it much this week, but this is a big deal, particularly when you look at the top of the leaderboard with some names that haven't won, maybe haven't even contended in a long time on the PGA tour. If they were able to hold it together, this counts as an official win and all the benefits that go along with it for both players now, when you were talking about Scotty Scheffler, this week marks Scotty Scheffler's first time teeing it up as a Masters champion. An unbelievable 2022 so far for the 25-year-old, winning four of his last six starts. Yesterday, he met with the media where he shared some of the congratulatory messages that he has received since slipping on the green jacket.
4: And heard you received a letter from President Bush. Mind sharing the story on that?
5: yeah um he his handwriting is really hard to read um, if he listens to this you know i I heard he's a good artist now you know he's got to do some work on his handwriting but um no stuff like that is is pretty cool um you know to have to have someone like that reach out and you know just to congratulate me is really special and you know that's probably kind of the only moments I've had where I kind of sit and reflect on on what's happened. You know, the past month and a half, two months, and then, you know, obviously the Masters is such a, a different event than the rest of them. And you
1: mentioned the letter from President Bush. Who else, sort of, you wouldn't expect, has contacted you about your win? Um,
5: I would say I, I I'm not really on social media. My wife has showed me a few things that people have posted I think like Michael Phelps posted me in one of his stories and then uh, like Zeke from the Cowboys sent me a message and just kind of random stuff like that where I kind of am able to sit back and like my I mean Michael Phelps is just insane you know, I mean the guy's the, one of the greatest athletes ever and for him to you know reach out and you know post something about me or whatever is, is pretty cool and that's kind of some of those moments where I'm able to sit back and kind of reflect on what happened And, you know, I should be really grateful for it because, you know, stuff like that doesn't come around too often. Um, So
0: it's pretty special. Scheffler and his partner Ryan Palmer tee off at 1.44 p.m. Eastern. They will be alongside the team of Patrick Cantlay and Xander Schauffele. I asked uh, Scotty yesterday, in fact, as we take a look at him getting ready on the uh, the range now, uh, if he felt like whether he was on a heater Eamon, or whether it isn't just about momentum is is this the new scotty scheffler what's your sense well he's the
2: scotty scheffler right now and uh, when you're playing the way scotty scheffler is you don't really want to ask the question in case the answer is something that you don't want to hear but you know he's look at his last five results you know he won the waste management phoenix open he, he won API. He didn't play particularly well at the players, but then he won the match play and won the Masters. There's no one in the world right now playing better golf than Scottie Scheffler. And you think it might probably help Ryan Palmer some. I mean, Ryan Palmer have played 12 events this season and his best is a tie for 12th at the Sony Open. But in this format and in this event, Ryan Palmer has proven himself year after year. He's finished first, he's finished fourth, he's finished seventh. So he, he's got a better track record in this event and this format than Scotty Scheffler does, but Scotty Scheffler is the,
0: you know, the form thoroughbred in golf right now. Last night on Golf Central, they were talking about Ryan Palmer and his ability to make great picks as partners, too, in fairness. And he said, you know, I I asked him back in February. He said, I asked him before he won the Masters, but he did note that after he won the Masters, he called him up just to make sure he still wanted to go through with it.
2: But he's also... Picking a guy who's proven to be a pretty reliable partner in terms of very disparate personalities I mean you remember he was the guy that the Ryder Cup captain Steve Stricker decided to put with Bryson DeChambeau Last year at Whistling Straits and Bryson wouldn't be the easiest guy to pair with other members of the team Both in the way he plays and his peculiarities on the golf course but Scotty Scheffler was the guy that he entrusted to play with him there. He, he also played really well in this event last year. He finished eighth with Bubba Watson, who's another quirky personality with his own distinct manner of playing the game. So Scotty Scheffler seems to be Mr. Even-keeled. So if you're a Ryan Palmer who's not a particularly high-strung guy anyway, well then I think you can perfectly match with a guy like Scotty Scheffler because neither one of them is going to ride the highs or lows particularly.
0: You you used the phrase even-keeled. I I would say he he strikes me as somewhat unaffected. Uh, Regardless of the stage, he seemingly seemed unaffected, save for his admission of uh, being in tears in the morning of the Masters where he was wondering if he was ready for all that seemed attached to it. But from the standpoint of the way he is competitively, who would you compare him to? I mean, for me, it would seem like mindset as a competitor, the closest I can think of would be like a Dustin Johnson. He reminds me, in a way, more of a a Tom Watson,
2: to be honest. There's that kind of stoicism about Scotty Scheffler where, you know, it took him a little while longer than some of his peers to get to the the top of the world ranking, and then it was kind of a meteoric rise when he got there, and he's backed it up at at every opportunity when he's been called upon, and that kind of mirrors Watson's early career, although Scotty Scheffler didn't have as many near-misses in his early days as Watson did, but he's got that kind of just it's almost like a Scottish mentality about him is that he's he's neither thrown too much by the lows as he talked about with us yesterday and he doesn't pay an awful lot of attention to the highs either he's just focused on the day-to-day he's not worrying about the PGA Championship he told us yesterday he's focused on the first round of the Zurich Classic which is probably
0: a pretty good mindset and it's really what you want to hear when you're his partner I think the thing that would be interesting to see is that In recent recollection, I can't think of another player that has ascended to world number one that hasn't faced the media week in and week out asking them about the pursuit and how important it was to which most of them have said, yeah, I think about it or I was thinking about it or I knew when I was getting close and it did impact me. Again, Scotty Scheffler seems to be somehow separated from that, maybe above it. Yeah, maybe it helps not being on social media as well. You're not particularly subject to the
2: day-to-day, hour-to-hour judgments that are being rendered on, on your conduct and your form and your clothes or whatever else people want to render a judgment on. He's kind of sectioned himself off from all of that, and I think that might actually help him. Other players might benefit from doing the same.
1: Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.
0: We are back on golf today. There you see them. Last September at Whistling Straits, both rookies in the Ryder Cup, FedEx Cup champion Patrick Cantlay and Olympic gold medalist Xander Shoffley, formed a very successful partnership en route to the United States' dominant victory over Europe 19-9. This is Cantley and Shoffley as teammates. There you see their record. 2-0-0. They defeated Rory McElroy and Ian Poulter 5-3, and foursome defeated Westwood and Fitzpatrick 2-1 in the same format. Let's head over to the CDW Intelligence Center and go beyond the scorecard using shot link statistics. This is what they've done so far this season, Amon and Nine starts for Cantlay and ten for Shoffley. Shoffley has one more missed cut. Same for top 25s. Five top tens for Cantlay. Only one for Xander Shoffley. And two times Cantlay has been a runner-up. Zero in that category for Shoffley. FedEx Cup rankings reflecting the level of performance as yet. Cantlay. Ninth in FedEx Cup ranking, 52nd for Shoffley. So they addressed the media yesterday and they addressed where they are right now.
6: And Xander, uh, if you'll uh, recap your season for us, your best finish, uh, tie for third in in Phoenix, uh, if we can get you to comment on your year up at this point.
4: Yeah, I mean, not much of a recap in all honesty. It hasn't been very good. So um, it's about time to catch some stride here and go on a nice little run uh, to kind of cap off the season. And.
2: Uh, no better time to start than here with Pat. And Patrick, if you can talk about the state of your game, obviously the runner-up finish there in the playoff last week at the Heritage. Uh, talk a little bit about your season.
4: Yeah, I feel like I've been playing pretty well this, this year, consistent, consistently well. Uh, I feel good about my game. Um, yeah. I've had some very close calls this season, and um, sometimes it's just how golf is, but you just keep knocking on the door, and uh, eventually, you know, the door will fall down.
0: All right, so standing here with Eamon. Eamon, we're, we're past the players. Yep. We're on the other side of the Masters, but we're still in April. I have a personal philosophy that if you play well through this stretch, say, like, you know, uh, we've seen from Scotty, for example, or Sam Burns has, has played very well, as well, it can be remembered. But if you haven't played well to this point in the season, by the end of the season, there's not too many people to remember if you could squeeze in a win or a high finish at it another major championship what is your assessment so far for these two guys
2: I think it means more this week to Sandra Shoffley than it does to Patrick Cantley Cantley's lost two playoffs already this season Cantley hasn't put himself in the mix but if you want evidence of how well these guys match up you look at the statistics of their past record together they are undefeated in alternate shot they've lost once in, in four ball but they've never lost an alternate shot and to me that's a sign of two guys who meld really well together and make a
0: lot of birdies. And you can see them getting ready right now for their 1.44 p.m. Eastern time. Tea time that stands before them. Uh, it, is, it is a unique combination. I'd like to ask you about personalities as well because sometimes you see balance in contrast in a setting such as this. That doesn't strike me as the case with Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley. They both seemed to to me to have the heartbeat of an accountant. Perhaps, but it's interesting to look at Patrick Cantlay's past record here. You know, he played
2: three times in this event with Patrick Reed, who would seem a personality who's very different from Xander Shoffley. Xander's previous performance here, he played once with Cantlay last year when they tied for 11th. He played once with Tag Ridings as well, so it's... At where people find their comfort is kind of interesting. You know, part of the reason why I'm really favouring these guys this week is when you look at it's the Campion. birdie average that I brought up earlier on the PGA Tour, Patrick Cantley is 5th in that ranking, Xander Schauffele is 13th. There are only two teams in the field here, Matt, who have a better combined ranking in birdie average on Tour, and that's Morikawa and Hovland, as you would expect, and the defending champions of Cameron Smith and Mark Leishman. So they, they seem to meld very well together, and the alternate shot is where I would expect them to make a statement based on what they've done previously in Ryder Cups and President's Cups.
0: Notwithstanding, of course, my own prelude to all of this, saying don't judge too much too early in the season, but do you have any reason uh, to be concerned about Xander at all? Yeah, well, he's being particularly consistent in these first
2: five, six years of his career, but here we are now with 10 starts this season, and he's in one top 10, and that was a tie for 10th at the Century Tournament of Champions out of Kapalua, in January, and that's really not his level of consistency. You know, he missed the cut of the players, missed the cut of the Masters. He didn't get out of his group in, in the match play. So he, he definitely seems to be in something of a lull. Yet strangely, if you look at his shot-link performance, there's nothing that is completely out of the
0: norm mm-hmm. versus what he's done in recent years. This grouping together, I, I, I know it's, it's hard to, to mention this right now, but it's a President's Cup year. Is there anything we can gain from watching him this week? I think that the President's Cup, Captain
2: Davis Love, is going to be paying particular attention to it. And I would hope and expect that Trevor Immelman is going to be paying attention to see how his guys perform in team play as well, particularly the partnership of Leishman and Cameron Smith out there who are, you know, playing with these guys today. I think there's there's something to be learned. Probably not a great deal. It's still really an
0: individual tournament in a sense. They don't
2: have the flag hanging over them.
0: That was the CDW Intelligence center. Let's head back out to the golf course. To the 14th hole we go. Tommy Ganey with this tee shot. Ganey doing all the heavy lifting for this partnership today. Yeah, no. Not a lot of heavy, heavy lifting left in that one. He would make birdie there to get to nine under par. Let's get you up to speed and what those scores are. Don't forget, Golf Central pregame coming up when we finish up today. Aaron Wright, David Lipsky atop the leaderboard at 11 under par after a 61. Tommy Ganey, Robert Garrigus have now got it to 10 under through 16. So they've jumped in front of Trey Mullinex and Wesley Bryan. Some you'll know and Michael Kim also on nine under. But
2: the two most analyzed players in the game over the last quarter century are the subject of a new book. Bob Harrig, the author of Tiger and Phil, Golf's Most Fascinating Rivalry, joins us next. Stay with us. Over the last three decades, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson have combined for 127 PGA Tour victories, 21 majors, and one pretty disastrous Ryder Cup partnership. But were they ever really rivals or even friends? Theirs has arguably been the most compelling relationship in golf since Faldo iced Norman. Now, Bob Harrig is one of the most respected journalists in the sport, and he has a new book coming out next Tuesday, April 26th. It's called Tiger and Phil, Golf's Most Fascinating Rivalry. We're pleased now to be joined by Bob. Bob, we appreciate you coming on. You've watched Tiger and Phil at close quarters for a very long time. When did you decide their relationship was worthy of a book and why?
3: Well, thanks, guys. Uh, Good to see you. I appreciate you having me. Um, Actually, it sort of germinated after Tiger won the Masters in 2019. And it's kind of funny how things have played out. But, you know, at that time now three years ago, I kind of thought, this could be the end for these guys. I mean, what more could happen in their careers at this point? And it just seemed like a good time to dive into their history and how they had been so prominent together for so long. Obviously, Phil added another major after that. And now we've got their recent struggles, uh, or Phil's at least recent struggles, which, of course, I could use more time to add another chapter or two based on what – what all went on there. But I, I think it was in that time frame and, and it, it got started from there. Tigers masters win in 2019 really sort of hit home with, you know, look at what these guys have done for so long.
0: I'm interested, Bob, because if, if you, if you pardon the phrase, the book on Phil and on tiger has never been that access to either of them is very easy when you're putting together something that's, say, outside the ropes, other than hitting a seven iron. How difficult (laughs) was it for you as an author to get access to these two gentlemen to to fill out the content of your book?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. It's a fair question. I mean, frankly, there was no access to either one of them specifically for the book. Um, In Tiger's case, that was – well, first of all, a, a lot of the reporting of the book occurred in 2020, uh at the height of the pandemic and even when we came back to golf you know we couldn't go in locker rooms where there was no access inside the ropes we weren't really getting close to the players much so there was no opportunity then and so then into 2021 um you know i had let tigers people know and phil's what was going on i never got the sense i was going to be denied the ability to ask either one questions uh, but Tiger had his own memoir that, at the time he was working on, I'm not sure where that stands. So he was going to be contractually prohibited from sitting down with me. Uh, and then, of course, came his crash, which put all that made all that a moot point anyway. Uh, and in the case of Phil, I you know I talked to Phil a couple of different times about trying to help me with this, and while he never said no, it never happened either. So basically, the entire book is, is my reporting of people around them. Also, there are numerous quotes from these guys over the years, stories I had written, obviously transcripts, their interviews uh, at all these various tournaments. Uh, but it's more a book about what others saw in them around the various times and instances that, uh, that they were prominent over the last 25 years.
2: Bob, there's always a debate between golf fans whether or not Tiger had any rivals and certainly whether or not Tiger and Phil were friends. If you were to pick one moment in their relationship or interactions, what do you think has been the most telling moment over the last 25 years?
3: Well, I think there's a couple of them. And you're right. You could certainly make the argument Tiger had no rival. Tiger's rival might have been history. Tiger's rival might have been Jack Nicklaus. You know, I mean, the record doesn't suggest rivalry. But Phil was the next best, and his record is incredible compared to anybody else's. And he was the Thorn and Tiger's side for a good period. I mean, of, of six Phil's major wins, four of them, Tiger was in the mix. Could have easily won any of them. Uh, I, I point to the, the very first chapter in the book after an introduction is the 0-4 Ryder Cup. Um, and I think that sort of epitomized the tension between these guys. It, it, it showed the... The, the, the discomfort that they felt toward each other. And the reason is, is in 04, Phil finally broke through. He won the Masters that year. He actually contended in all four majors. He could have easily won two or three. Tiger had a rare bad year, really didn't contend in any of the majors, was going through a swing change with Hank Haney that, that really we, did, we weren't all that sure about. And then comes the Ryder Cup, and now Tiger's going to be buddies with Phil. No, he saw Tiger as a threat. And while I don't think it was an outward dismissal of Phil, there was many instances where you could see that these two guys were just not apt to be great teammates uh, in that setting. And, it, you know, it failed. It, 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 going in, everybody was excited about it. But in the end, when you look back and you, you look at the big picture, uh, they weren't that compatible. Their, their, their other teammates noticed some of this. Their competitors definitely noticed it. And the result was two bad losses that day that really hurt the American side uh, and led to a very, very lopsided defeat. And that has lingered over the years. Hal Sutton has said how much that impacted him. You know, I'm not sure his decision was a bad one going in at the time, but in retrospect, it doesn't look too good. And then we started on a path of in 05, Tiger won two majors, Phil won one, Uh, Phil won the 06 Masters dearly one that Tiger wanted because his dad was dying, filled nearly one Wingfoot. foot, should have won Wingfoot. foot, uh, he, a very, very uh, disappointing loss where he would have won a third straight major. What happens after that? Tiger wins the next two. I mean, so that was a period of high tension between them where they were both very, very competitive. Uh, Bob,
0: when we talk about the, the, the competitive side of this rivalry, uh, there's also that personal side, the, the way that the two players thought about each other. And I, and I want to tap into these sources mm-hmm. that, that you went to, which included other players, because I can remember back in the day, players on tour that were friends of mine would tell me, no, you were either in the Tiger camp <laughs> or you were in the Phil camp. And these two lines did not cross. How cute was it back in the day in terms of what they thought personally about each other?
3: I think there was, uh, you know, I, I, on, on Phil's side, uh, Matt, he had a lot of respect for Tiger and was always very much one to give praise where praise was due. And he mentioned many times how much Tiger was great for the game. It helped all of them. It helped all of their bank accounts. And Phil has said he thinks it's, it helped make them better. You know, he, he, he wonders what it would have been like without Tiger, but he also acknowledges maybe I wouldn't have been as good as I was. Maybe I wouldn't have worked as hard because I knew I had to step it up to try to compete with him. Tiger, on the other hand, was a little bit more dismissive, especially early on. I think he wondered what's going on with Phil. I mean, clearly when Tiger was in high school, he knew how great Phil was. Phil was winning the USAM three NCAAs. He won, wins a tour event as an amateur and Tiger's in high school at that time. And he, He has to know how great Phil is. Phil gets on tour, wins nine times before Tiger turns pro. All of a sudden, we would look up one day, Tiger's got eight majors and Phil doesn't have any. And I think there was a sort of a little bit of a lack of respect. He he, he was wondering what was going on if he wasn't, uh, you know, sort of playing up to his potential. And slowly, Tiger began to grudgingly accept and show his respect for Phil. And it played out in in some of the ways where he, you know, he wanted to keep Phil at arm's length. He knew that if Phil got it going, he would be a threat.
2: Bob, what do you make of where both guys find themselves now? Because obviously Tiger's back playing again. Phil is not. Tiger's become this sympathetic figure. Phil is not. What do you make (laughs) of where they are right now?
3: I think it's an amazing change, a 180-degree change, actually, from where we were at some point. I mean... Uh at, at times Phil was beloved even though he wasn't beating Tiger. He was sort of the people's choice, the people's champion. Uh, if you remember back or have read back about Beth Page in 02, Tiger won that US Open. Phil was the more revered player. He was the one who was cheered so loudly. So why we always think and have thought forever that Phil was gonna be the Ryder Cup captain of Beth Page. And I think that bothered Tiger a little bit. Hey, look, I'm kicking his butt, but he gets all the love. I mean, Phil was the outgoing guy. He was the one who was signing autographs and, uh, you know, thumbs-ups and looking in the crowd. And Tiger obviously had the blinders on. He wasn't quite – he that was not his personality. And so, um, you know, the, now it's completely changed. I mean, Tiger is the beloved figure. He's not only come back from his own personal issues – but the very serious back problems. Obviously, the Masters in 19 was incredibly popular. The way he was received at the Masters a couple of weeks ago just shows, uh, I think, how much he is revered in the game now. I mean, people were just clamoring to get a glimpse of him. I don't think too many people care that he shot 78 twice. They were happy to have him back. Meanwhile, Phil wasn't even there. And frankly, Phil should be reveling in it, too. His his uh, victory at the PJ last year at Kiowa should have given him... You know, sort of, a, you know, a lifetime legacy boost, uh, and it's amazing how quickly that has changed. Here we are; it's it's Tiger playing, and we're not sure where Phil is in the whole thing.
0: Bob, when it's all said and done, in retrospect, what do you think people are going to take away from this book?
3: I think you know it's a good little history lesson. Frankly, you know, if if you uh, if you were not, if you're certainly if you're of your certain age, if you're under forty. You might not have any idea how great Phil was back when he was a young guy. We've heard so many stories about Tiger and how great he was. We know he won three straight USAMs. Well, Phil was Tiger before Tiger. He was incredible. He had not the hype that Tiger had coming out, but a lot of hype. He was going to be the next great thing. And you take it all the way through. Obviously, we know of Tiger's greatness. The book reiterates that. A lot of great examples like his 2008 U.S. Open win the 19 Masters win, the first Masters win, the Tiger Slam. All of that's covered. But Phil held his own in many, many ways. You know, he was got way behind. He could have been really frustrated. You know, after Tiger got, got out to that 8-0 start, it's 7-6 Tiger in majors. And again, 45 PGA Tour wins. There's nobody active today under the age of 50 other than Tiger who has 25 wins. I mean, it's an incredible record. And I think mostly what this shows is how great these guys were for so long.
0: The book is called Tiger and Phil, Golf's Most Fascinating Rivalry. Bob, thank you very much for your time. We wish you the very, very best with the book. And now we want you guys at home to get involved. What is the best rivalry in the game of golf? Send in your response for a chance to be featured later on in the show. More coming up. Stay with us. Welcome back to Golf Today. That is Robbie Gold, the 49ers kicker. He'll be joining us coming up on the program. He's part of the celebrity division of the Club Corp Classic. We'll find out if there's any parallels that he sees between golf and football. Welcome back. Matt Adams here alongside of Eamon Lynch. Delighted to have your company. So here we are in the final stretch. We have Golf Central pregame coming up as soon as we finish and then live coverage after them. What are your thoughts of what you've seen so far? To me, the the story, and I I get we're seeing
2: all these low scores out there. Seven under par was a score shot by Victor Hovland and Colin Morikawa, both of whom are in the top four in the world. Jay Haas, at the age of 68, has also shot a 65, (laughs) playing with his son, Phil. This is a guy who got his PGA Tour card in 1976, so the old man still has some game.
0: Uh, it's awesome. We, we cannot wait to see how it settles out for that father son team as we move on. But first let's take a look at some more highlights from the golf that's already taken place today Cameron Smith. This is for birdie at the par three ninth 20 feet away and six inches down that team would finish at seven under now Robert Garrigus at the 16th chipping He's got it. That birdie would carry the team to 10 under par. How about this fiery team? Terrell Hatton at the eighth from the native area on the right. Yeah. Nice indeed. All right. So now Hatton from eight feet. He would get to nine under after that birdie. How about this? Ryan Palmer, Scotty Scheffler. Palmer, 21 feet away for Birdie. Can he do it? That's why we showed it to you. That's off the first hole. Now, same hole. Shoffley for Birdie alongside of Cantley. I don't know, Eamon. Looks like the scoring's gonna be pretty good in the afternoon, too.
2: Yeah well when you're playing at the level these guys are you're going to expect a pretty good number and the bar is
0: set pretty high at 61 let's see where the bar is right now Aaron Rye and David Lipsky posted an 11 under 61 earlier Tommy Ganey and Robert Garrig is chasing him down one shot shy at 17 holes already in the books Doc Redman and Sam Ryder working their way up the leaderboard They're through 16 and one shot back. But let's go back to our leaders, Aaron Rye and David Lipsky. Rex Hoggard caught up with them.
3: Thank you very much. Joined by David Lips- Lipsky and Aaron Rye. I-, I just wanted to ask, you probably don't get an opportunity to play much four ball, but when you look that you opened with a 61, is that about as good as planned?
0: I mean, I, I think so. I uh, We both played really well today. Um, we sort of kept the momentum going. And, you know, when one of us was out of position, the other one was make- making birdies. So uh, we really ham and egg- egged it well today. So...
3: Aaron, what part of your game seemed to mesh well together?
5: David played phenomenally today. Uh, David was incredible. It was amazing just to sit back and watch for the most part. I think what maybe worked well today was um, I probably hit a couple of good long irons, which kind of freed David up a little bit. Hit a couple of maybe okay mid-irons, which, again, David just played amazing today. So I just jumped on the back end of Dave, and we kind of played well together, um, gelled well, and our games kind of fit
3: nicely today. David, how did this partnership come about?
0: Uh, our caddies are really good friends, so they room together most weeks, and uh, ended up just working out. And uh, you know, I, obviously, I know Aaron from when we used to play the European Tour together, so I think it was a comfortable fit.
3: Does the plan change at all tomorrow for four play, which is much different?
5: We spoke a little bit about it on Tuesday, just who might take the odd holes, who might take the even, and a couple of reasons as to why. Um, but we're going to try not to look too much into it, and then the most important thing is just to play good golf. Obviously, strategy is very important. I think we've kind of talked about what we needed to. And then, you know, it's just about trying to play well again tomorrow.
3: Thank you very much for your time. Yep. Congratulations. Thanks. Appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you, David.
0: Thank you the team of Aaron Rye and David Lipsky. Rye, 27 years old from England. David Lipsky, 33, from Los Angeles. You heard him just telling Rex Hoggard that they got to know each other when David was playing on the European tour where he met with success there. So it's this combination, this unique combination of players. And as we showed you that leaderboard as we were going to that sound from Rex, we also saw Doc Redman and Sam Ryder riding up that leaderboard. So there's a great deal of diversity in this. You were even talking about it with the Haases. There really is. It's not just age diversity,
2: just in stature of where they are in the game right now. You saw one of the teams there that was at nine under par with a 63, Michael Kim, and soon you'll know they're combined world rank is 1999 so we're talking a lot about ryan palmer's ability to recruit the the top ranked player in the world in this tournament over the last few years it just shows that so many of the numbers that are conventionally important week to week don't really matter so much but this all changes tomorrow when suddenly you're an alternate shot and you've got to start hitting it from where the other guys just put you and if you're talking about guys who have not been in great form individually over the last couple of years, and particularly the two guys at the top of the leaderboard, Rye and Lipsky, each only have one top-ten finish on tour this year, neither one of them was particularly recent. So tomorrow is really the challenge where I think you start to separate the week from the chaff. Here.
0: Uh, and you know, it'll be interesting, too, that you bring that up because David Lipsky is 150th in driving distance on tour, not even near the average, and Aaron Rye has to play from where he's hitting those tee shots from.
2: Yeah, and Aaron Rye's not exactly a long hitter himself out there as well. I mean, statistically, these aren't guys who excel in a particular part of the game, and that's really going to be the mix tomorrow. You see a lot of these teams with Hovland and Morikawa and Leishman and Cam Smith, guys like that, they have very clear strengths and weaknesses. But when you're talking about two guys who seem to be plateaued in terms of statistical
0: performance, tomorrow then becomes a real challenge. I i got a really easy question for you now, Eamon. They're 11 under par. There are already two teams at least that are within a shot at 10 under par. Are they atop the leaderboard at the end of the day? I think they're going to be pretty
2: close to the top of the leaderboard at the end of the day. I'm more interested who's at the top of the leaderboard tomorrow after the alternate shot really kicks in. And I, that's when I start to look at the guys who you see three, four back right now, Who you know, Leishman and, and Cameron Smith, Shane Lowry and Ian Poulter, are seven under par as well. Sergio Garcia and Tommy Fleetwood, these are guys who have, a great deal of experience playing together, certainly in Ryder Cups and President's Cups, but they are also the guys who are not statistical outliers here. They excel at particular areas of the game. They have strengths that balance the weakness of the others instead of weaknesses that are kind of equivalent. Don't forget about Hovland
0: and Murakawa as well. How could we? How could we indeed? All right, let's uh, let's give you some an update. What's going on on the LPGA side? The Do Implant L.A. Open is underway. There, you can see Jennifer Song atop the leaderboard at five under. She has played twelve holes as yet today. Again, a very diverse leaderboard as you look down through that leaderboard of the Do Implant L.A. Open. So let's get an update. On the Epson Tour, the road to the LPGA this week, the tour heads to Utah for the Chopper Rock Championship, where 17-year-old Alexa Pano makes her pro debut. As last week, she announced that she would be bypassing college golf. Let's take a look at the upcoming events. There are 17 tournaments remaining on the developmental tour's schedule. The top ten players in the money list at the end of the season will earn their LPGA cards. Coming up next, San Francisco 49ers. I should do that in a football voice. Kicker Robbie Gold joins the program. He's teeing it up this week in the celebrity portion of the Club Corp Classic. More on how his golf game impacts his performance on the field when we return.
1: Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf.
0: We're back on Golf Today on the PGA Tour Champions. The inaugural playing of the Club Corp Classic begins tomorrow at Las Colinas Country Club in Irvine, Texas. This event also features a 54-hole celebrity event played under the modified Stableford system. Here's a look at some notable celebrities in the field. Our guests, Robbie Gold, will be joining us in just a moment. We'll be playing alongside the likes of Marty Fish, Alfonso Ribeiro, John Smoltz, Ray Allen, Derek Lowe, Tony Romo, Annika Sorenstam, and more. Robbie Gold will be teeing it up this week indeed. Place kicker for the San Francisco 49ers. Played with the Bears from 2005 to 2015, where he was the franchise's all time leading scorer. He played his college years at Penn State Robbie we appreciate you taking the time to join us how are things going what is it about golf for you and the connection in your life
4: well it's kind of unique because kicking and golf are are very similar so uh, to be able to go out there and create kind of the same mentality the same swing planes uh, and then you know it's a a place you can go hang out with your buddies you you know play golf at any age Uh, I go out with my kids in the golf cart uh, so for me, it's just fun to be able to be out here at the Club Corp Classic uh, playing with some of the uh, greatest golfers to ever walk inside the ropes. I mean, Brad Job was giving me a uh, putting lesson today, so hopefully that'll carry over because these games are pretty tough.
2: Robbie, you've spent your entire professional career in high pressure situations with a lot of eyeballs on you. But how does that compare to standing on the tee of a golf tournament surrounded by the gallery with a driver in your hand?
4: Well, the nice part is I don't have to worry about cashing a check this week playing golf. So uh, for me, it's just going out having fun. I mean, you're talking about playing with some of the the Hall of Fame baseball players and some of the greatest golfers to some of, uh, you know, Annika's here. She's watching her swing on the range and talking with her today. I mean, unbelievable. Uh, just to be around all these great people and watch their mindset and how they prepare. You know, you try to take some of that into your sport. For me, it's, you know, I'm 39 going on 40 and, going into my 18th year in the NFL and just talking to them about how they, you know, maybe recover or, you know, small things like lifting and, uh, you know, techniques that they've used to be able to play this long on, on their prospective tours or, or their baseball careers or their basketball careers or whatever.
0: Uh, Robbie, I'm particularly interested in the parallels between what you do and your real job and what you're doing uh, this week and, and having fun on the golf course, because when you guys are doing your thing, I'm thinking about watching the NFL on television, and they'll talk about a kick that was pushed or a kick that was hooked or one that you chunked or, or, et, cetera, or et cetera, et cetera, All these terms that seem to be carried over from golf into football. Do you recognize it?
4: You're describing my golf game right now. You know, <laughs> the, the chunk. Um... Yeah, it's, it's unique. You know, you get used to playing the winds, right to left, left to right. Sometimes you have to play a cut. Sometimes you have to play a draw. You know, I was listening to the caddies over the last couple of days talking to these guys playing golf and it's very similar. You know, I'm going to hold this up against the wind or the cut and the right to left wind. And, you know, it's, it's kind of unique. You, you get a different perspective. You think about kicking a little bit differently. Um, I don't really have a caddy on my bag when I'm out there on the football field. Uh, but I might hire some of these guys to come out and help me on Sunday.
2: Robbie, I want to bring you back a couple of years here. In Lake Tahoe, you were at the American Celebrity Championship, and you were invited into a video with Tanya Terra, the trick shot artist. And we have that video right here. I want you to sort of jog your memory with it. Tanya kicks the ball up. She's juggling it on the face of her club. Tees it up for you, and you do this. Forget everything you've ever done in football. How could this not be the single greatest athletic achievement of your life?
4: Well, you know, Joe Carter gave me a lot of tips going into this. You know, if you're going to get tips from a guy, you're going to get tips from somebody in the field this week, but you're also going to get tips from somebody who had a, a home run to win a World Series. Then somehow, some way, Herm Edwards always finds his way around the camera. I'm not really quite sure, but, uh, you know, it was great to be able to have uh, Herm in the background for that. But, you yeah, know, it was they were just like swing as hard as you can and hope you hit it. And I think I hit three in a row and then I hit a little dribbler to the second baseman on the fourth
2: one.
0: Robbie, how much of what you do with, with, with football and then what you do with the game of golf, how much is one a release from the other, particularly when you get between the ropes and you're at these beautiful gardens, that is a golf course. Can you forget about everything else?
4: Yeah, I think a lot of it is, you know, you just focusing on what you do, right? I mean, uh, golf is very similar to kicking and really special teams in football. You only get one play to be great. And here in golf, you know, you take one shot at a time. You focus on one shot. You know, hopefully you're going under par for those guys. But for me, uh, you know, it's just a matter of keeping it in front of me, uh, hitting fairways and greens and and making some putts.
2: Robbie, it's easy in your day-to-day job to actually determine what constitutes a good week for you what constitutes a good week here playing golf
4: uh you know just having fun you know it, for me it's being around uh the celebrities that are here being around the champion Tour and champion Tour players uh and then you're talking about club corp i mean could you ask for a better host i mean they have everybody here from pretty much every golf company you could possibly think or that you've seen so to be able to network with uh our sponsors and um be around a lot of great people it, you know, not taking it too serious. Yeah, you want to win or try to win. But the reality is, is you know, this isn't my Sunday regular day job. So uh, for us, we have, you know, three or four of these events a year. And it's always great to be able to catch up with everybody and see how their family's doing. And just talk to them about how their year's been or what they've been up to. And uh, for us, it's become a little bit of a clubhouse or a locker room, so to speak. And, uh, you know, it's always great to be around everybody.
0: Robbie you already talked a little bit about the parallels and even the pressure between playing professional football and playing golf. I'm particularly interested in that moment. Clearly in golf. It's you and you have to hit a shot. You have to perform at a time and place. It's very similar. It would seem when you have to make that kick. It could be a game winning kick at that. Is there a parallel there? Is there a connection between the type of pressure and focus that's necessary?
4: Yeah, a lot of it's picking the right line, you know, going out. These guys go out on the range and they get their swing. They figure out, you know, how far the ball's moving either way and uh, they've been out here for a couple practice rounds. Then you go to field goal kicking and pregame warm-up. You have a, a game plan. Sometimes that changes based on weather, but I think uh, the predominant thing for a kicker and golfers is just folks on picking out a great line and, and having a great tempo and trusting that that lines the exact shot when you visualize it before you hit it and Hopefully it goes where you want it. If not, you know, the nice part is is hopefully your miss is small and you got a chance to either make the field goal or for these guys put yourself in a decent position to still make some make some nice shots.
0: Well, Robbie, we certainly hope that this week it goes exactly where you want it. We wish you the very best with the competition and certainly the very best in the season that lies in store. Thanks for joining us.
4: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: We do have some breaking news for you today from three-time NBA champion Steph Curry. He took to social media recently announcing the launch of his underrated golf tour. The tour will bring diverse 8, 12- to 18-year-old boys and girls together at elite venues around the country. Steph's goal is to make the game accessible for players of any background.
1: Golf today. Brought to you by Points Bet. This season, don't just bet. Live your bet life.
0: Here is what's coming up today. Golf Central pregame coming up. Burko is standing by with Billy right after we finish up Zurich Classic of New Orleans from <coughs> 3:30 p.m. this afternoon. And then the LA Open on the LPGA will carry you well into primetime. Golf Central will be back to wrap it all up (laughs) later on this evening. Time now, Eamon, for the 19th hole. Sounds perfectly appropriate, doesn't it?
2: Time for some viewer responses to our social question.
0: Yes, and here was our social question. We spoke with Bob Herrick earlier in the show about his new book, Tiger and Phil, Golf's Most Fascinating Rivalry. So we asked you, what is the best rivalry in golf? Starting off, Kent who says the
2: only one in this prolific Arnie and Jack that competed on the course and in business for over
0: 50 years, conducted themselves as gentlemen, leaders in brand building, core values, kind of hard to argue with that. Yeah but it is an, its it was an interesting arc because it started as an intense rivalry, it grew into a family or into a friendship ian says right now i would say it's rory and his opening rounds if he can get that together no reason why he can't string together several majors different way of looking at it well here comes luke with his contribution to the argument jordan versus golden bell the 12th of augusta national golf club there's some <laughs> scar tissue on that one over the years matt indeed let's see what scott had to say as he responds to the same question Zach Johnson in warm-up swings he has caught a couple off the toe yeah he's had a couple of little misfires here that looks
2: remarkably like my actual attempt at a real drive (laughs)
0: let's find out one more this one coming in from Craig best rivalry in golf today is Chambly and Lynch would you guys partner at an event like this no, because I actually think I find the center
2: of the club face a little more often than Brandel does these days.
0: And that's, that's a particularly biting comment after what you just said with <laughs> Zach Johnson's practice swing. So we are getting ready for Golf Central pregame. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to go to live coverage from half past three, 3.30 this afternoon Eastern time. How excited are you for all the golf this weekend? What, I guess, I could ask you, what excites you the most? I think it's the ever-changing format because the sands shift on these guys throughout
2: the rest of the week. It's not as though you're just doing the you know, the stroke play format day after day as these guys are accustomed to in their lone wolf existence out there. Suddenly tomorrow changes everything. Once you go to alternate shot and you need both guys to kind of be playing well because one guy obviously can raise the team momentum a little bit in format today where it's four balls out there, but one guy can really drag a team down tomorrow if he's misfiring either on the greens or or off the tees or on approach shots. There's just there's no place to hide tomorrow. You can't hide behind your partner.
0: I'm looking forward to the entertainment of what lies in store because it is a partnered event such as it is. But I'm really looking forward to Wilshire, too. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to a new event on the PGA Tour Champions and the Club Corp uh, Classic. So there's a ton of golf that we have in store for you. And as you heard us running through, it's going to take you well into primetime. And what more can you ask for?